Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris and Rob, part of the Stay Tuned Network, brought to you by Nova Insider, and potentially part of something else in the future, but we'll get to that in a future episode. Not yet. We'll get to that in a future episode. Big big Um, teaser. Big teaser. Yeah, big teaser. Don't know if it's going to come to fruition, so I could have just totally caused the problem there. Uh, But that being said, welcome back, everybody. It's Sunday, November 14th. Um, it's in the morning. It's like 1030 uh, right now. Um, we're not even 36 hours past when we played UCLA on Friday night. Uh, but real quick, before we get into it, Rob, what's your drink of choice on this beautiful Sunday morning? So this is bold. I just put this on, on camera. I had a decision to make. I was like, look, it's 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. Am I going to do the whiskey? But I got my morning run in. So because I had the run-in, I totally justified it to myself. So I have the Woodford Reserve out this morning, complemented by a coffee in this great Salesforce thermos. I feel like Salesforce should pay me for this. But it's a weird combination. It's working for me. I've got the upper. I've got the downer. We're going to see where this leads me by like 1 o'clock this afternoon. But it's a good start today, and I'm just happy to be here. Awesome. Love it. What What do you got? What do you got? I also went the coffee route. Um, and so I, I've got it from Dunkin' Donuts. And Dunkin', I know you're a growing brand and need some sponsorship. So by all means, feel free to <laughs> feel free to reach out. It's an up, um, it's an up and coming chain. Up and coming chain. Uh, but I also did mix in a little Frangelico. It's, you know, we're getting into the holidays or getting close to the holidays. Uh, I'm Italian. And, you know, little little hazelnut liqueur in the morning goes well with the coffee. So that's, that's where I'm at. I have yard work to do. So again, also going to be interesting for me um, while I'm blowing leaves in a little bit. Uh, but let's get into it. We have a lot to cover this week. This, is, this was a crazy week, even though it was only week one. Um, we played in the earliest ever non-conference top five matchup, played on a campus site in college basketball history, on Friday night when we played and eventually lost in overtime to UCLA. I feel like there were a lot of disclaimers in there, but they actually still kind of made sense and I'll take it. It's still pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Rob, where are you at with, with, with a high level here? Let's start high level and then we'll drill down a little bit. Where are you at after the one in one week that was? Yeah. So I am, I think my headline is that I feel I have a couple of feelings. One, I feel generally pretty good. And I feel pretty good because one, this feels kind of normal. I said this to our friend group. I said this to you the other day that I was actually just excited to wake up on Saturday morning and be a little bit pissed off about the game. But having that been my focus, which for so long last year, I'll be honest, I struggled to get excited about the season. It was a weird season, obviously with COVID and all that jazz. So it just felt normal. Watched the game with a bunch of fans on Friday night. Like we had our Slack going, we were talking about it. It was a big matchup for us. And I was just like, yeah, this is, this is back to Villanova basketball. This is back to college basketball. Let's get at it. So from that standpoint, I was pretty jazzed. 
Obviously, I'm disappointed in the loss. That said, we 100% should have won this game. And I think this showed a little bit about what our floor is. And we'll obviously get into this a little bit more. So I feel net-net pretty good coming out of this relative to some other early season losses that we've had in years prior. How about yourself? You and I are in a similar boat there. Um, yeah, it's it's tough because when you lose a game that you th- should have won, you just you just sit there and you stew on it for yeah. like yeah yeah you know hours on end, and you know the next morning and a screaming baby in my face at seven o'clock <laughs> in the morning, and all I could think about was the fact that we should have fucking won that game. We should have won. That um, game. So that that's that's a frustrating part, but the fact that we played the game, we availed ourselves well, we played against a previous season final four team who was legit there was questions about that when we did our our little talk sesh we did a twitter spaces uh sesh there were some questions is ucla legit ucla ucla is legit right so and we availed ourselves well we played good overall we should have won the game because of those reasons early on in the season we said it here on the podcast win or learn we win obviously it's great we learned I think that's a fine result. Obviously now does put some pressure on it. We do have other ranked opponents coming up that we'll get to either in another podcast or or a later part of this podcast. Um, We're going to get to that next week, but, um, but you know, that does put some pressure on us. We do have to win some of these ranked out of conference games. Uh, So that's the one thing I'll note, but one game doesn't mean like, Oh my God, now everything's a must win. Yeah, no, that's actually a really interesting point. I remember a few years ago, I want to say it was, I want to say it was Tom Izzo, one of his years. He just had this gauntlet of a schedule for his team at Michigan State, and they were supposed to be a good team coming in, and they just got absolutely decimated and didn't really recover throughout the whole year, and it kind of threw everything off. And it was very much one of those, well, yeah, I wanted to test the guys, and it was ultimately like a little bit too much of a test. And I do think there will be a little bit of an element of pressure moving forward. That said, I think Jay has shown the ability to get the guys pretty steady and rebound and at least pick up some of those wins that you're supposed to against those ranked teams going forward. So yeah, I'm with you. We'll see big, big week, really exciting matchups for us at work. We're pretty spoiled. It's like from one great week to another this year on the out of conference schedule. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But I will say if we don't, if we don't take like a two, at least a two in one week this week, I'm going to get impatient. Yeah. So, yeah. I, no, so, I so I we got Howard later and then we uh, earlier this week, and then we have um, Tennessee followed by UNC or Purdue. We'll get into previews for those games later on, but yeah. we got to go two and one at the very minimum. Um, totally. So um, all right. Should we talk UCLA. Yeah. I think we should dive right into there. I mean, obviously the game of the week was Mount St. Mary's, but we should probably totally. start. Yeah, let's probably talk about UCLA first. Yeah, for all our Mount St. Mary's listeners out there, don't worry. We'll get to you. All righty. So we have some discussion points to hit. I think first and foremost is that even though I disappointed about the, the, the lack of a suit game from Jay Wright, it still needs to be said. He looks better in a track suit than Mitch Cronin looks in a real suit. Uh, dude, absolutely. So... The team went one and one this week. Jay Wright went two and oh on the track suit versus real suit. He had big matchups in both. Mount St. Mary's coach rocked the bow tie, smoked him. And then, yes, Mick Cronin looked like he like just hadn't had a, a, tr- a suit update since like 2010. 
he's just rolling in that old 2000s style. And Jay's like, this is 2021. We don't wear suits. And he looks, ever, he looks you, fucking great. He looks great. Yeah, you know, like when kids go on college interviews and they wear a suit to their college interview, yes. but it's clearly a dad's hand-me-down <laughs> suit. That's how yes. Mick Cronin looks in a suit. You, right? you absolutely nailed that, 100%. Yeah. He looks like, you know, the, the sleeves are a little long. You know, it's, it just looks ridiculous. Um, you know, he just doesn't, he's just not, he's just not the best looking guy. And, you know, the Mr. Clean look doesn't work for him. I don't know if he can grow hair. He probably should consider it. Unlike Shaka Smart, um, who, yeah. who probably should have stayed bald, but that's a whole conversation for later in the year. Um, but yeah, I gotta say, Jay did, Jay does, Jay pulls it off. And when you can pull it off, you can get away with it. Mick looked like he was the, the contrast with Jay made it look like Mick was trying so hard to look good and just didn't read the room. He was like, that guy was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to a party Friday night and everybody's there in like t-shirts, jeans and like whatever. And he shows up in like a fucking, I don't know, cardigan and a little tie. It was just terrible, terrible misread. So hat tip to Jay. He is smoking the tracksuit game is clearly redefining style for the NCAA. Once again, Kudos to Jay for reinventing himself. Love it. All right. Before we get into any discussion on the game, I do have to say, it felt really good to watch fans in the stands in general. Yes. yes. Whether it was a big away game with a loud stadium, Pauley Pavilion was packed. It was, it was electric environment in there. Like there was an element where it was like good that UCLA made a comeback for the sense of like watching a game. You felt like the game pressure as opposed to just watching like a like a no volume squeaks on the yeah. on the court it was just ridiculous that last year so this year with no fans in the stands it was i mean this year with a lot of fans in the stands it was awesome yeah. um and so it makes the games feel more relevant feel more watchable um i feel like you're getting real stuff out of them so i have to say it was good and i'll also give a little hat tip to the nova nation I thought the student section, considering it was Mount St. Mary's, was pretty good on Tuesday night. Yeah, I, I agree. You could hear them on TV. I don't have a whole lot more to add. I think you nailed this. It's just great seeing and hearing the fans. And yes, the fact that you could hear the student section against Mount St. Mary's is notable in and of itself. Good for them. So let's get into the UCLA game. We've, we've been it. talking about how we're going to get into it for like 10 minutes now. Um, my first point on the UCLA game um, is a good, a bad, and an ugly point. Um, and it has to do with defense and rebounding. The good about the defense is that our top six guys show, have shown the ability to defend all, six, all, all positions on the court, and specifically um, Eric Dixon, Slate, uh, Brandon Slater, and Jermaine Samuels. I thought those guys did a great job on switches. Um, I thought that they, they looked strong. I thought that they did the best they could. Yeah. Are they going to get beat on a bad switch sometimes? Of course. UCLA had highly talented guys. You have Juzang, you have Hawkes, you have Tiger Campbell. You have all these guys on UCLA's team who are able to break it down. These are high-level, top-end recruits um, coming out of high school and they are, you know, getting NBA looks to a certain degree. These are high-level athletes, and of course, they're going to beat you sometimes. But I thought that they held their own very well. Yeah, 
No, I uh, totally agree for the most part. Again, as we alluded to, we thought we should have won this game. It was generally good. And we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, Dixon a little bit later. Uh, I think defensively he had, you know, he was on an Island for a lot of the time as well that he had to deal with, but felt good about that. Felt good about the fact that we were able to force a lot of turnovers. And it seemed like throughout most of the game that UCLA was a little bit rattled with the exception of Juzang, who just hit some unconscious stretch stretch where he had six or seven made shots in a row. And it was one of those, okay, he's operating at a different level right now, but yeah, uh, I think you're, you're right on this one. The, the, the turnover point I think is another point on the good. Yeah. This team is going to turn people over this year. We did it against Mount St. Mary's and we did it against UCLA. Like, that's a really like Mount St. Mary's you're like, okay, of course we're going to turn them over. But the fact that we can turn people over and get run outs and get, and get some transition buckets, that's going to be good. That was not a feature on the last couple of years of teams. Um, so, so the fact that we could turn people over, like that's key because we we're going to need to get to a point where we're, we're down a few baskets and can turn people over and get on a little bit of a run and defense into offense was something missing um, since really the 2018 squad. And I'm really glad to see it back in this year's edition of Villanova basketball. And so I'm hopeful and I think that will be a, um, a consistent point for, for, the, for the rest of the year. And I think that has a lot to do with Slater being in the starting lineup. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, obviously super athletic and with the bulk this year too, can guard anybody. The bad. Let's go. Still a lot of open shots and a lot of blown covers in transition and coming yeah. out of the one, two, two press. Look, we're not, Rob and I have said it before. We're not like, we're not going to give you the biggest basketball analysis, but like UCLA missed open shots in this game. And that was oh, yeah. pretty clear. So like, yeah, they hit some hard shots, but they missed some open looks. Does that, it kind of washes itself out um, overall, but there was too many times where we were late on closeouts and three pointers etc. And if a team gets really hot, we're going to have a hard time with that. So that part was not as good. I think that's, that tends to get cleaned up as year, as the year goes on. That's not an uncommon thing to say about a Villanova team earlier in the year, but we're playing some high profile games. So that needs to get cleaned up and pretty quickly. Yeah. I got to say, I think we really, I kind of almost blocked it from my mind. So thank you for reminding me. I do feel like we did dodge a number of bullets throughout that game because UCLA just missed some wide open looks that should have made this game tighter earlier on in the second half. So I don't want to say that UCLA deserved to win because I do think we deserve to win, but that game would have been a lot different towards the end had they hit, you know, even one or two more of those. And that was just, you know, poor switching and, and poor defense. And they were really yeah. wide open looks. Yeah. Yeah. But I'll kind of give that, a, as I said, I'll give that a little bit of a wash. There were some contested like shots that looked impossible that they hit in yeah. that game. So I'm, I'm giving that a little bit of a wash. Yeah. Um, our guards are not as good at, in general on defense as our great teams of yesteryear. And, you know, obviously as we mentioned Slater um, being able to get his hands in there and cause some turnovers is going to help that a little bit. So, so good. We're going to need it. Um, the other part is they're not as good as in the post. Um, when we had mismatches in the past, when you think of Archie Diacono, Hart, Brunson, Booth, some of those guys, when they got trapped on a, on a switch and were down low, those guys were beasts down there. Yeah. Fronting the post everywhere. 
like causing turnovers, preventing uh, preventing the bigs from getting the ball down low. There were warriors in the post. I'm not seeing it from Colin and from and yeah. from Justin as much. It's there, like they're trying, but they're just not as effective at all in that regard. That's a great point. I had totally forgotten about just how much tenacity that both Arch and Brunson used to show down there. It was like, yeah, if they got switched, it really wasn't that much of an advantage, which was wild that they were able to hold their own back in the day. And we 100% do not have that on the defensive end or the offensive end for that matter too. Yeah, absolutely. And then finally the ugly, and that's rebounding. We almost got out-rebounded in the Mount St. Mary's game, which is just a joke, Um, but we got – absolutely massacred on the boards against UCLA. We got out rebounded 46 to 32. That right there is the difference in the game. That is, that is interesting. That's right. That's the difference. You even that out even a little bit. And we win that game in regulation. There's a number of things you could point to. If this happened, if that happened, if the other thing happened, we went in regulation. So those are the good, the bad, and the ugly on the defense and rebounding front had to hit those points um, just because Look, this team is offensively gifted. We can score. Um, I'm not worried about this team offensively. I am worried about this team defensively. And so we're going to hear us talk on this podcast throughout the year about defense. It's not sexy. It's not whatever. But that's going to be the difference between this team being a Sweet 16 Elite Eight type team and this and this team being a Final Four National Championship contender. We're ranked 42 in Ken Palm on adjusted defensive efficiency right now. That number needs to be top 20, has to be top 20 if we're going to win the title this year, period, has to get there. So we're going to be harping on that all season long on the podcast. I love it. All right. Should we hit our next big topic? We got to hit the next big topic. Oh, God. Jay's oh, rotation. God. And and this is already something that I could see being an early theme. I hope it doesn't become an early theme. We had a, we had a debate. We almost put it in the narrative section. Um, But because of the Mount St. Mary's game, we left it in the UCLA game recap section. But if it comes and rears its ugly head next week when we play Tennessee and Purdue or UNC, it's going on the narrative list. And that is Jay's rotation fucking sucked. Terrible. um, Against UCLA. 11.30 p.m. Eastern time game. We know that they went out early. Shaq told us they were going out on Wednesday um, they got there early, so they had a little bit of time to get adjusted. Fine. Still, 11.30 Eastern time game. The game was going to end 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning. These are guys who go to bed early. They wake up early. Yeah. Okay? So they're playing that game totally out of sorts in terms of time of the game. And then you shorten the rotation to six and a half guys, right? Like Caleb played starters minutes off the bench. Chris Archidiakono, which is a conversation in and of itself, um, played the seventh man role and played like, I don't know, seven to 10, seven, like barely barely even counts. Right. Like, so six and a half guys, that's where we're we're going with that is an absolute farce. And I realize Brian Brian Antoine is injured. So that option is out, right? Like can't do anything about that. Still in the Mount St. Mary's game, Jordan Longino was everywhere. He looked good. Trey Patterson has been with the program for a year. And yep. Nana Njoku, in a game where you're getting absolutely slaughtered on the boards, could have helped us out a little bit on that front. So the fact that he's not playing it, I get it. We're going to get into the narrative section about the freshmen and bringing them along and that in the Jay Wright era. But the fact that he did not go to those guys at all 
given the circumstances and the environment and how much effort these guys are expending, we lost that 10 point lead in the second half because these guys were fucking gassed. And that's on Jay. Absolutely. Preach, preach. I love it. And look, people will be like, Oh, how can you question Jay? He's a two time national champion. He's a hall of famer. Like he knows what he's doing. Yeah, of course he knows what he's doing. There is still validity in criticizing this. Like this just didn't make any sense to me. The pure basic idea of, hey, we're effectively running, forget six and a half, we're effectively running six men, and one of them, at least one of them, is not being very effective. There's got to be some value in at least having some different looks and some different personnel on the floor, especially when things are stagnating in the second half. Now, we all know Jay's like always tightening up his rotation, and you don't want to be introducing Jordan Longino you know, with 10 minutes left in the game to be like, oh, I need a new look. No, you want to be bringing him along and having him sprinkled throughout the game as well, too. So when the second half, when you're late in the second half and you need that different look just to throw UCLA something different, you have somebody that you can fall back on when things aren't working. Like there's value in having that change there. There's value in getting some fresh legs. This one just absolutely baffled me. I'm, look, I don't want to hate too much, but like, the fact that Chris Arch is there as like the seventh man, I, ugh, I don't know. I'm, I'm really struggling with that one. I want to see these guys come along. I want to see some different looks because otherwise you're just running the same six guys on the floor for the entire game. The UCLA or whoever we're playing is absolutely going to pick up on it. If they start to shut things down, it doesn't seem like we're doing a whole lot different and we just keep trying the same thing, which yeah. I'm not a big I mean, fan of. I'm still on this. I'm still on this topic. I mean, yeah. look, you said what you have to say about uh, about Chris Arch, and and I won't go more than that. He gave us great minutes at the end of last year, and, and there's no hate on Chris Arch. Uh, my hate is on Jay playing him as the seventh man yeah, um, and not Jordan Longino, who who could have used the opportunity to, to grow. And just to be clear, there was never an intention by Jay Wright to play the freshman, and he just forgot. No, if you looked at the bench, which the camera panned to the bench several times, if you looked at the bench, you had Arch and you had Caleb uh, at the front end of the bench. Then there all the assistant coaches and then the freshmen were buried at the end of the bench. So it wasn't like, oh, he just forgot and got into the game and got you know swept up in the intensity. No, those guys weren't moving from their seats. There was never an intention. It looked like it was pre-discussed, predetermined. Guys, you're not playing. You got to watch this before you can, you know, you know you got to watch this for years before you can play. And it's like, I, I get it, but like, man, Longino for 10 minutes in the first half or eight minutes in the first half could have been all the difference in the game, even if he doesn't show up in the, in the second half box score. Yeah. So it, it, was, it was like a blessing that he's like, yeah, I, I guess you guys can dress today. Sure. If, if, if you want to put on your warm ups in Jersey, like feel free. Yeah. You're not going to yeah. use it. Ha ha. Like, like <laughs> ridiculous. Ha, ha ha. Put on your Jersey, Jordan. Yeah. Um, and then we got a good mailbag question is, is who should be the seventh man? And what, what, when Brian Antoine comes back, the answer for me as to who should be the seventh man is Caleb Daniels. Yes. Um, so, so look, he's the sixth man he's playing. He's kind of folded into the sixth starter role at the end of last year, there was a lot of discussion around Caleb Daniels and I was willing to write it off. He had he had developed myocarditis from long-term COVID. Um, 
when he got diagnosed from COVID back in January, threw his entire game off. Early season Caleb last year was excellent. And I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, um, especially when you consider he was the star player. He was a star player at Tulane. Now, Tulane's Tulane, but they played in the American, which had Cincinnati and Houston and all those, Wichita State and all those teams on it, UConn. Um, and they play, and he was like a 16 point scorer in, in that league. That's not a, that's not a bad player at all. So I was willing to give Caleb the benefit of the doubt in this game. The announcers were giving him some praise actually like Billis, um, was giving him some praise throughout the game. I wasn't, I wasn't there. He made some good defensive plays. He, He was trying, there's no debate on his effort. He made some really bad decisions down the stretch. Yeah. Pl- tried to play ISO ball at points and like took on ill-advised shots, trying to throw like, like heroic layups up at, you know, it, on contested shots. It was just not the right decisions in a time where we were, where we were like starting to see the lead slip away more obviously had to be buried on the bench uh, because of foul trouble. But all of that was, terrible and Caleb Daniels cannot be making those mistakes and be the sixth guy yeah if or if he is he has to make shots like like period he has to be a a big offensive or defensive contributor in a meaningful manner and he did neither he did none of those things um, to earn six starter minutes so when Antoine comes back I want Antoine at least as of right now I want Antoine in the sixth starter role and Caleb being the seventh guy or See where Longino's at. See where Nana's at. See yeah. where Patterson's at. So, I mean, the bench was an issue. And and Chris Archidiacono gave us very little. And and Caleb was Caleb was a net negative at the exact wrong time when he didn't need to be. And I don't want to hate on him, but he can't be making bad decisions. He I, I, think, I think that's I think it's the issue. And I very much agree with what you said. Um, Jay obviously has historically liked for the sixth man to be a high energy guy who's going to bring something different and kind of lift up the team. I don't think we're getting that from Caleb right now. If there's one thing you can say about Brian Antoine in his limited appearances on the court with the team is that he brings a fire and an energy. The dude just bounce, like literally bounces around the court and is clearly going to be eager to continue to show the growth that he showed at the end of last year and show that he can contribute. So I agree. The sixth man has got to be Brian Antoine because he can play a number of different roles as well too, which is, which is pretty exciting. And just because of the poor, the poor decision-making is the one big indictment I have on Caleb. Like, look, you're going to miss shots. That's going to happen. Jay's always had this philosophy of you take the open looks. Sometimes they fall, sometimes they don't. But when you're making the poor decisions, when you're turning the ball over, when you're sloppy, that to me just says, okay, we've got to take a step back and you should definitely not be that first guy who's coming off the bench. Yep. Can't, can't, can't disagree at all. All right. Should we move it along? Yeah, let's do it on. Let's, let's end on a positive note on the UCLA recap. And the positive note is Eric Dixon. Woo! Woo! Let's go. Yeah. Love Dude, it. I'm jacked up about Eric Dixon. This guy, look, if you go back a year and a half from when give or take, when Eric Dixon committed, it was, I was excited. I was like, look, this guy can shoot inside. He's got a big body. He's another guy outside in the mold of Omari Spellman, obviously stretching. He wasn't a five-star recruit, whatever, but we talked about the potential. 
Last year, a little bit of controversy around Dixon in that he wasn't quite game fit. Obviously, really didn't see the court for all intents and purposes. This year needed to play a big role. Didn't see a ton out of him from in the Mount St. Mary's game because we also really didn't need him to do that much. But I was really impressed with what he showed in the UCLA game. He played with confidence. He showed a variety of moves around the hoop. He was pretty nimble with his feet. He was able to finish in the paint. He was able to step back, hit like a nice little fadeaway jump shot. I don't know that I would have chosen that as a particular shot when he hit it, but he made it, so I can't complain too much. And then, look, defensively, he had a real big challenge. He was more or less put on an island the entire game and had to play defense at the top of the key against um, Tiger Campbell, against some of the other guys who they kept getting switched onto. And I thought earlier on in the game, he did a pretty good job of it. You could tell as the game went on, he was clearly getting tired and like just couldn't keep up with Tiger Campbell, which like no shot there. couldn't keep up with Tiger no, Campbell. No, like, so, and it's like, so, all right. Yeah. yeah, like he's getting blown by at the end of the game. I'm not going to fault him for it all that much, but I loved, I loved what I saw. And we'll talk about it a little bit later, perhaps on the second part of the podcast. This is a big week for him. We're going to learn a lot about Eric Dixon this week. Yeah, I agree. The only thing I would add is that Dixon needs to make people a little bit uncomfortable on the offensive end to start to get uh, matchup advantage. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to see him do is get a little bit spread out. I want to see Jay invert the offense a little bit when Justin Moore backs people down into the post. And he's better at that than Gillespie because he's stronger, stronger body. Um, when they, when those guys back people down into the post, I want to see Dixon roll out to the three point line and look to, and look to catch a jumper. That's what Omari mm-hmm. did in 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eric Dixon has that shot in his bag. He absolutely does. Yeah. 100%. And, and if he can do that, it's going to put a lot of pressure on the defense and that on, on the opposing team's defense, which will lead to good defense and offense for us overall, yeah. that is the next level. And he needs to make sure he does a good job feeling that out, but he grabbed, he grabbed a bunch of boards in a game that we got absolutely massacred on the boards. And, and he was, he scored like, I don't know, 10 plus points in the game. Um, and definitely was a revelation, made a lot of hustle plays, got on the floor. Um, and as you said, guarded every position on the court. I, I really liked what I saw out of Eric Dixon. And if that progression continues, this is a team that can be, that can be really good at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, so I want to end on that high note. If there was one thing that I took away from that game that said, this is a top five team, this being Villanova, it was that. It was the development of Dixon in that game as it progressed. 100%. All right, let's transition a little bit. We'll talk a little bit about Mount St. Mary's. You brought up a good point, um, which was that Dixon was quiet. So I thought, you know, I thought, okay, maybe we're going to have to cover for Dixon in the UCLA game. Didn't need to, but he was quiet. But I thought you brought up a good point. He was allowed to be quiet in Mount St. Mary's because the other four guys were on God mode for that entire game. Yeah. And specifically, that was Slater who looked, who was every bit of a revelation. And I think we haven't talked enough about him on this podcast, but we'll get to him. I feel like he's going to get a lot of opportunities to get talked about in this podcast going forward. Um, And then Justin Moore, who was absolutely electric. Um, So, um, so both of them looked really good. Um, And then, and then I thought the freshman 
who we talked a lot about earlier, um, not playing when they played looked good. And specifically, I wanted to call out Longino and I wanted to call out Nana. Um, Longino was absolutely everywhere in the Mount St. Mary's game. And Nana, um, when he came in at the end, was he was enormous. He was like by far the biggest guy out there. He looked like he looked like a man amongst boys in terms of what he was able to do on a rebounding front. So I loved what I saw out of both of those guys. Yeah, I think uh, our two our two big men definitely have some lower body strength. I'll say is is I think one way to put it. They're uh, they're going to be hard to move down low. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one quick point on Mount St. Mary's. People on Twitter, can you stop calling them MSM? Please, for the love of God, call, stop calling it MSM. Look, I'm on Twitter. There's a lot of politics talk on Twitter. When I see MSM, oh, I oh, hear- Oh, is there? Is, is yeah. there politics see, talk on Twitter? I see mainstream media, and I have like a little bit of a conniption when, when I see MSM. So for the rest of the year, can we just all agree as a Villanova fan base that when we refer to that game, we refer to it as the Mount or Mount St. Mary's or- just the first game of the season. If you don't even want to bring Bingo up, please stop calling them MSM. I'm seeing it. I'm getting like the shakes as I see it. We got to stop that. <laughs> Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um, All righty. Yeah. All righty. That's our games recap from, from, Woo! from, yeah, that, was that was a lot. lot. I, a I, lot. I will, I will say though, going back to the point I made earlier, it feels so good to just be like talking about a game for that long and it feels regular and being like, I'm that excited about the team. I'm that excited about the season. We had something fun to react to. It wasn't a win that we wanted or wasn't obviously a loss that we wanted, but like, we'll take it. We'll hear we're here. We'll have some fun with it. Yeah. All right. Getting into narratives. Um, oh shit. I just remembered something, Rob. We didn't talk at all about the refereeing in the UCLA game. It was interesting. It was interesting. I will say, so it was funny even just like seeing our, our friends and talk about it. I haven't seen a game refereed like that probably since I played like pickup outside of your apartment outside near Grand Central like five years ago because there were just no fouls called. None. It was like slap in the face, slap on the arm, little hip check, like none of that matters. There was absolutely nothing called it was a totally different type of game that you had to be in and from a player standpoint from a coaching standpoint you saw jay on the sidelines going nuts i know my wife and i were sitting there being like the hell is that like what are we watching like did these guys get a different set of rules to play by it just (laughs) seemed really strange to watch but it was pretty consistent on both sides of the ball for the most part yeah, someone said to me, there was a bunch of people on Twitter. So I put on Twitter that win or lose, this game is not on the referees. Yeah. And and people didn't like that. I got ratioed on Twitter. <laughs> and it was one of the first ratios that I've gotten. And, you, uh, you you got a four to one ratio, just literally four and then one. That was that was it. Yeah. Like five right. interactions. Yeah. 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 I got I got crushed um, by saying that. Someone was like, well, in a tight game. Yeah, definitely. I would say, you know, if, if one more point would have won this game, then then every it gets a bullshit. Yeah, point. Sure, get out of here. Sure, get yeah. out of here. Like that's every game. Then every yeah. fucking game that's close is on the referees. Yeah, that, ridiculous statement. Give me a break. And someone was like, "I hate this. Like this argument is is to excuse bad refereeing." I'm like, I'm not excusing bad refereeing. Okay, I'm just saying that it didn't impact the outcome. It didn't. Yeah. 
Some, some people were like, oh, UCLA got bullshit calls down the stretch or whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sorry. D- if I was a UCLA fan, clearly the UCLA fans in the audience felt like they were getting jobbed by the refs. So, so like there was a lot of conversation being like, ref, you suck. I heard that. Co- I heard that a ton. So like, I don't know. I think both teams got equally bad whistles and equally good whistles by, by the referees. I- I'm going to have a hard time when we have a 10 point lead with 10 minutes left in that game, yeah. putting any blame on the referees. No. And I think part of it is too, as a player, you've got to adjust to it. Right. And if you like, you see in the first five, 10 minutes of the game, how the game is going to be called. And because it's being called in a somewhat consistent manner across both sides of the ball, you adapt and you start to play this different game. Like don't be expecting the refs to change their behavior. Like they're probably going to continue to give you what they gave you in the first 10 minutes, but yeah. I'm with you all, all the way. The refs didn't decide this game. We got tired. Our offense stagnated. I remember, God, there's one possession at the end of the game. Fucking Jermaine got the ball. I don't know. like 20 seconds left in the shot clock. Just stood there, did a little step, 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 just like bobbed his head a little bit. And there's, put up a contested jumper. I was like, I don't know what the fuck that was, but that was pretty, pretty like representative of our offense throughout the end of the game, which yeah. that's how you lose. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. Someone was like, Oh, Moore got crushed on that last drive to the hoop. No, no refs ever call that. Yeah. They never the, call. The only, the only refereeing thing that really impacted the game was Moore's second foul, yes. which was a terrible call relegated him to the bench and then he picked up his third that one very much impacted us but like you're gonna get some of those bad calls like throughout the game he should have been he should have been actually more aware on his third foul that he had to he put himself in a very bad position there so that's totally couldn't agree more couldn't agree more all right but now we're going on to some narratives around early narratives around the team Mm -hmm. one narrative kind of came up before What's going on with Jay? So, so yeah, let me take this one. So we talked about the rotation, obviously. This has been a thing for years. We talk about it every single year on the podcast. Jay plays a short bench. Jay is known to bring along his freshmen slowly. His defense is complicated. I get that. My challenge to Jay is why? Why is this an issue year in and year out that we struggle to get freshmen in the game? While your defense may be complicated, I think Jay needs to do a better job or change how it's actually taught. Like, presumably, like, you've had this switching concept for a number of years. You know that freshmen struggle to pick it up. Something should then be changing in terms of how we teach it so that it allows us to get our freshmen on the court earlier, or we need to change what we're willing to do and see in those early season games so they can come along a little bit later. And folks listening to the podcast, you may hear some banging in the background. My neighbor is clearly doing construction on the other side of the wall. So you're just going to have to deal with that. I was going to say, I've got like a hammer, like in my head at this point. So. <laughs> is Nicole like doing some construction on your yeah, apartment? What's just going like, on? I, I don't know. Clearly somebody is just having, it's like Sunday morning. Like we got to do some workout. I guess the equivalent, like, oh, I don't have a lawn to mow. So I'm like hang some pictures, but yeah, whatever. Here we are. So anyway, I think that's a little bit of a challenge and an indictment on Jay. Like you should change your teaching methods 
based on what your teams are struggling with. And that yeah. I think that I think needs to change. Uh, it's hard to disagree on a lot of fronts. Look, there's some things where I'm not going to assail and fault a guy who's won two national championships as a Hall of Famer. But at the same time, Jay has specifically said, we need to be deep if we're going to go far this year. He has said that. He, he has articulated that to the media on multiple occasions. He goes, we need to find depth if we are going to be the best possible team and go far in March and win the Big East and all this other stuff that they're looking to accomplish. We need to find depth. You find depth through playing time early on. Yeah. Like, yes. Like, yes, the guys will make mistakes. Let them make the mistake and then berate them after the fact when you watch the video. Like, that's how you do it. <laughs> like, yeah. I get it. I get it. You're probably, he's probably sitting there being like, I want these guys to see what a real environment's like. I want to see what I want them to see. I want them to feel that. I get that to a certain degree. I'm not telling you to play Longino or Nana or Patterson 20 minutes in this game. It's not what I'm saying. Five, 10 minutes of burn is, would be enough just to spell the guys who you need in the second half late in the games to win you the games. So I, I'm, I struggle with it. It's an early narrative. I hope it goes away. He played a deep rotation against Mount St. Mary's. I'm sure it'll be deep against Howard. Not interested in the rotation in Howard. I'm interested in the rotation when we play Tennessee and Purdue or UNC um, later on in the week because Jay's got to get these guys in these games to develop. And, like, and like the one thing is a – People might say like, oh, well, if we would have won the game against UCLA, you wouldn't be saying this. I probably no. would still be saying no, it. No, we'd absolutely be saying it. I probably would still be saying it. But guess what? My attitude is also, if you're going to lose the game anyway, you might as well lose it and play other guys. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> so so I, I, I struggle with that because, because, you know, obviously if you pick up a win, does it take some of the edge off? Yeah, it definitely takes some of the edge off. But this is something that's going to be watched all season long. Jay said we need to be deep. If Jay's going to say we need to be deep, then he acknowledges that he needs to fix it and not playing them a single minute and relegating them to a position on the bench behind the assistant coaches is not a sign that he has an intent of actually doing it. So he's on the lookout. He's been warned. <laughs> Jay's been warned. Jay, Jay's you're on blast. <laughs> the full 40 is, is coming for you. Um, that said, again, let's be positive. Our starting five is fucking good. Like They're, very, they're good. really really good and we seem to be early on developing one of those things like anyone on the starting five can kill you on a given night and that's that's a good sign um you know when we played the 18 team they had six guys who could kill you on any given night um you know and so and so that's a way we can win and we can win a title on the strength of that uh but but the starting five is definitely really good gillespie can it on on a given night samuels was the game high score against ucla um more had 27 against mount st mary's and and even with foul trouble got into double digits against ucla and slater i think had double digits in both games so if you're going to have four guys who are averaging over 10 and then you also add dixon who seemed to be able to handle a high level matchup quite well like yeah. that bodes well for this team going forward into the year yeah yeah i'm with you i felt I felt after watching this game that our floor was much higher than it was in my mind coming into this. And that's really just attributed 
to that starting five. They showed what they can do. They can hang with anybody. But obviously, referring back to our previous point on the rotation, when you have Justin pick up a third foul or whoever it was, and we start getting into that bench, if that bench isn't developed and comfortable, things go away and the team's floor drops pretty quickly. So we'll keep an eye on it, obviously. But, you know, you know that with the starting five on the floor, you've got to feel good matching up against anybody in the country. All right. This pod is going long. So I, I vote that we split this into two. And I think we do awards and, and, and then, so we'll do a, we're just gonna be a two part pod, everybody. Two parts. Um, Two parts. Part B may come out pretty quickly after part A, but we're gonna do a two part pod. Let's do awards and wrap this one up. All right. Boom. Um, All right. Should we start with um, the Shaq fit man play of the week? Yep. I think for me, this one's going to go to, Samuels had a dunk, kind of skied for it. can't remember at what point it was during the UCLA game. Obviously, if we would have won, I think it would have been even more so um, my go-to, but I'm going to go with that one. Yeah, you're talking about the one he caught a lane on the baseline yeah. and, and took it right to the rack. Yeah. Um, two-hand flush. Yeah, that was pretty good. Samuels gets a lot of these Shaq Fitman plays of the week and will probably continue to do so. Slater's going to give him some competition. Um, I am going to go with Nana and Joku in the Mount St. Mary's game ooh. with a full palm block oh, at the yeah. end of that game. At the end, very end. I want to hand one to the freshman. I want to give the freshman. We've been talking a lot about how we want to see more freshmen. Let's put our ma- money where our mouth is. I'm going to put that um, in there. And then the Alpha Dog, the Arf Arf Alpha Dog of the Week Award, our first one of the season. To me, it's more. To me, Justin Moore was the alpha dog this week. 27 against Mount St. Mary's, even with foul trouble, double digits against UCLA. Um, and Jay Billis kept referring to him as our best player, in, <laughs> despite um, Colin and Samuels being on the team for like a million years. Um, and it's hard to debate it after one week. So for me, he's my alpha dog of the week. I, I like it. So I actually had written down, I wanted to give it to Dixon, but I feel like, that's actually stretching the definition of the award. Dixon, I was just excited about his performance because he definitely played above what I expected him to do. That isn't the definition of an alpha dog, arf, arf. And therefore, I kind of like your pick of more. So I want to give a, a hat tip to Eric Dixon for his effort this week. Hopefully he does earn an alpha dog, but I like Justin Moore for this call. I'm going to support you on it. I like it. And then the final award, the pass the fucking bowl award of the week. And I think to me, this one's pretty clear. I think it's Caleb Daniels. Um, We talked about the decision-making against uh, UCLA. And I think that was it. I think he, I think he earned, unfortunately, this award in the last 10 minutes of gameplay and in overtime against UCLA. He earned that pass the fucking bowl award of the week. I feel bad. We've said it before. Caleb's like a really nice guy. Great guy. Great guy. But unfortunately, he's getting my pass the fucking ball award of the week. Yeah, I think I would agree with you. I think Chris Archidiakono gets an honorable mention in this category as well, too. For a combination of two plays that stick out, one across each game, one was the botched breakaway layup against Mount St. Mary's. Holy shit, I want to talk about that. Yikes. That was a thunder touch off of the <laughs> off yeah. of the glass. He looked like he was just running full speed and just like just was like I'm just going up and 
hammering that ball off the it glass. Was like, it terrible. was like I was playing pickup basketball there. It was real rough. So yeah. that was one. And then the second one was the wide open look he had for three against UCLA, where he was thankful to get the rim. That barely got the rim. And those two together, I was like, Ooh, okay. Okay. Like Chris Arch is working through a few feelings at the start of the year. This is not the guy we saw at the end of last year. So he's a close runner up, but I think Caleb gets the, unfortunately gets the award this week. I don't have it as that close. I'm not giving him the pass the fucking ball. I think, right, I think right. Caleb is a clear cut winner. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. Unfortunately. Hmm. I, I mean, look, we're going to call a spade a spade here on the full. It's board. true. It's true. Um, all right. I think that's, I think that's it for, this part of the podcast part one part one part, part one. two coming soon part two coming in a second um so yeah stick around part two is coming up just go to it episode four part two part b whatever brian's gonna call it when he produces it um but stick around we're gonna be we're gonna do a couple different things but mainly we're gonna cover the preview for well, Howard kind of, and then really more Tennessee and UCN, uh, UCN, UNC or Purdue uh, coming at the end of next week. So stick with us. Thanks for listening to part one. And as always, let's, let's go, go Nova. Nova.